curmudgeon. I do like chocolate bunnies. Um, Easter egg hunts are fine with me. Little baskets of candy. Uh, feel. I was going to say, Randy, to, to feel free to leave them on my doorstep, but I'm afraid they'll do that. Leave them on Randy's doorstep. He really likes baskets of, of Easter candy. So um, I'm, I'm all for those kinds of things. But it seems to me sometimes that we have more Easter in our lives than we do the resurrection. And if I can say it that way, just to say that uh, when we look at Easter and the celebration and what a joyous day it is to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, um, that at the same time we get caught up in the festivity of it, in the celebration of it, in the, um, uh, just the, the family coming together and mealtime together and games for the kids and all those things. Wonderful, wonderful things, but uh, the world... Uh, in many ways, likes Easter, but knows nothing about the resurrection. In other words, we we know about a holiday to celebrate, but we don't know about the resurrection power and the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. In other words, it's just not on our map. It just doesn't figure into how we navigate through life. And it really shouldn't surprise us. We shouldn't uh, be too down on ourselves. The disciples... Uh, They really didn't understand the resurrection. It wasn't on their map. Several times Jesus said to them, he said, you know, the Son of Man, his title for himself, his favorite title is Messiah, the Son of Man, must go to Jerusalem and be arrested and beaten and crucified and the third day rise again. And what did the disciples do? Well, one time Peter even took Jesus to one side. He said, Jesus, you've got to cut this out. This talk about being arrested and beaten and crucified. You've just got that's not what Messiah does. That's, that's, not, that's not the program. And why would Peter say something like that? Because resurrection wasn't on his map. When Jesus said, I must go, be crucified, rise again the third day, that rise again part never registered in Peter's mind. He just didn't comprehend what that would mean. It didn't, it didn't figure into mapping out the agenda. And because resurrection wasn't on his map, he just didn't get it. And you know, for that matter, even after the resurrection of Jesus, on that first Easter morning, when the women came back to the disciples and said, you know, the body's gone. The angels told us he's risen. Scripture says they thought they were being silly. They thought it was foolish. They didn't take it seriously. Time again, when, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, the response of, of Thomas was, I doubt it. And in Matthew chapter 28, it says that when Jesus, just before he was taken up and gave the Great Commission, said that he appeared to his disciples and that many rejoiced to see him, but some still doubted. There, in the presence of the risen Lord, they still doubted because resurrection wasn't on their map. They couldn't get their minds around it. They couldn't get their lives wrapped around the reality and the significance of resurrection. And so this morning, I want to invite you to put resurrection on your map, to put resurrection on your life's map so that the resurrection power of God in raising Christ Jesus from the dead would become the operative, uh, motivating dynamic in your life that would shape how you live, energize how you live, and give you the guidance and direction on how you live. And to do that, I want for us to look at John chapter 11 and to see a time when, John, when Jesus was putting 
resurrection on the map of some of his followers. Now, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you recognized this chapter as being the chapter about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and uh, Lazarus had fallen sick. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick, come You know, you've got to come quickly. Jesus tarried for another two days. And by the time he got to where they were, uh, Lazarus had already died. And he'd been buried, sealed up in his tomb. And you remember that uh, Martha came out and, and said, Jesus, if only you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died, which of course was true. But Jesus said, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's just think this through. You know that he'll live again. And Martha, who was a very, very thoughtful person, said, Yes, I know. I know there's a a resurrection. I know there's something called uh, the raising of the dead. So I I believe in the resurrection. Yet someday out there, somehow, somewhere, uh, my brother Lazarus will will live again. Okay, there's, there's something. Jesus said, No, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will not die. Then after a few more interchanges, Jesus said, Martha, do you believe this? Martha said, I believe that you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. I believe you're the resurrection. I believe there's life in you. Well, then after a a short uh, interchange, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago with Mary, Martha's sister, uh, they all went to the tomb together. And there Jesus put resurrection on the map for Martha And I believe also for Mary and anyone who was willing to listen. We pick up the story. John chapter 11 begins in verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. This was the burial practice of the time. It said into a cave, the the body of the deceased would be brought into Um, a chamber inside the cave. There would be two chambers, one next to the door, one a little bit further inside the cave. And the body would be placed on a shelf inside the the first chamber and laid out, and then the stone to seal the entrance would be rolled back in place. That would keep predatory animals out and that kind of thing. And then the body was left there for maybe as long as a year while the body decomposed. And after that time, then the cave would be entered again and the bones of the deceased would be gathered up and taken into the second chamber and put in in a small pile next to the bones of other ancestors who had been buried there. And so an entire family would be buried in a cave for generations going on. And that's what they had done for Lazarus. They had taken his body and prepared his body and set it inside that that, that first chamber and uh, rolled the stone across the doorway. So Jesus came and there was the stone across it. In verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Believe it or not, this is, this is not the first time Jesus said something nobody expected. And a lot of people thought he would come, maybe preach a sermon, maybe talk about the love of God, a little counsel, you know, that kind of thing. But he said, no, roll away the stone, take away the stone. See, Jesus is always saying things to us that are unexpected. And if resurrection is going to be on the map of your life, you've got to understand that Jesus a lot of times tells us to roll a stone away. 
a stone that covers over a part of our lives we don't want to share with others, certainly not share with God, part of our lives that we're a little bit ashamed of, a a part of our lives where where we have guilt, and especially that part of our lives that is sin-infested. We don't want to give up the sin, and we don't want anybody to know. We certainly don't want God to know, and so we say, let's let's just put a stone over it. Jesus says, roll away the stone. Don't be fearful about removing that stone. A little while later, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and some of the other women would come to the tomb of Jesus. And they would bring with them the spices and the and the, uh, the the aromatic spices and the fragrances, perfumes, to anoint the body of Christ. But as they came to the tomb, they started talking to one another. They said, who will roll the stone away? Which, by the way, is a very good question. Because if we have stones in our lives that are hiding things, the question, who's going to roll that stone away? Because it doesn't seem like we can do it. They said, who's going to roll our stone away? The stone that is covering the the tomb of our Lord Jesus. But when they got there, they found out that the power of God had rolled the stone away. You see, this was so totally unexpected. Because the stone over the grave, over the tomb, is a sign of finality. When you run into a stone and it's covering the tomb... It says, it's over. It's finished. There's nothing left to be done. And God rolls away the stone and says, are you kidding me? I'm just getting started. Don't let this stone say it's over. There's there's nothing left. Let my power to move that stone and roll it away tell you that I'm the God who raises the dead. And if you want resurrection on the map of your life, understand that God does the unexpected for us and in us. And so Jesus said, I want you to roll the stone away. Now, Martha's a very thoughtful person. Martha's a kind of, of person who thinks things through. And it doesn't take her much to figure this out. Because uh, in verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Some of you might be reading the King James. Martha said, by this time, Lord, he stinketh. You know, the translation is trying to to soften that. But the fact is, it would be a foul odor. See, when the women came to the tomb of Christ, they brought with them the fragrances and the perfumes. And they were going to anoint the body of Christ, and that would be a way to honor him and honor his memory. It also had the very practical purpose of masking the stench of death that resides in a tomb. And no doubt when Lazarus was put in, unlike Jesus, Jesus was buried in haste by men, by the way, who didn't get it right. But Lazarus was buried in a very measured way, and no doubt the perfumes and the ointments had been placed with him to mask the the odor and the stench of death. But now it's been four days, and the odor has become such that it will overwhelm any kind of masking at all. So Jesus said, roll the stone away. And Martha said, don't go there, Jesus. I don't want you to go there. 
It stinks there. There's a very unpleasant odor there. Sometimes that's what we say to Christ. He says, I I want to go into the inner depths of your life and your heart. He said, Lord, I don't want to go there. It's just not pleasant if you go there, Lord. I don't want to go there where, where I have just experiences or resentments or hurts or pains or or anger. I don't want to go there where I have habits or attitudes. I don't want to go those places in my life that I've been able to mask over with the fragrances and the veneer of, of, of pleasantness. But in point of fact, when you get right down to it, they are very uh, filled with the odor and the stench of death. Jesus, I don't want to go there. But Jesus said, I want you to roll away the stone. There may be the stench of death. Or roll away the stone. See, if the resurrection is going to be on the map of your life, you have to understand that God has power over the stench of death. He has power over the stench of our sin. He has power over the stench of our lives and their brokenness and things that have rotted within and and he has power over those things that, that have become just sort of a, a cesspool of, of thought or attitude and or maybe relationships that have been poisoned. Jesus Christ is Lord of these things. And so if the resurrection is going to be on your map, you've got to look at them differently. You've got to look at them in the light of the power that raised the dead. So Martha says, Lord, by now there's an odor. Rather you didn't go there. And so Jesus says to her in verse 40, he says to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now what's with this? They're talking at the tomb of her brother who is dead. She doesn't want the the stench of his death to come back as a painful, overwhelming reminder of the fact. And Jesus starts talking about what? The glory of God. But let me ask you, what else would Jesus talk about? That's all he ever talked about. That's why when he talked about, I want you to forgive people with an unlimited kind of forgiveness, that was because that's how God forgives us. And we were to forgive others to make manifest and known the glory of God's grace when he forgives us of our sins because of the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I want you to love without limits, I want you to love your enemies, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, I want you to love in a way that just makes the world scratch their head and wonder what's got into you, I want you to love this way because that's the way God loves you. Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies because God loved you when you were an enemy. God loved you when you were hostile to God. God loved you when you cared nothing about him. That's the way God loved you. And that's the way you've got to love one another. Why? Because when you love that way, the way God loves, you are making known the glory of God. That's why Jesus said things about don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't get sucked into the the crude and crass materialism of your world. But rather lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because that's where God is. Understand that that as a steward, you're serving the glory of God and the way that you dispense your resources, the way you use your finances, all these things are to reflect the glory of who God is. So when Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you believe you're going to see the glory of God, what else would he talk about but the glory of God? 
But what else would Martha need but the glory of God? What what else are you going to give her? Some well-worn platitude that no one believes? Some shrug of the shoulders? Some promise to help and be there and no intent to deliver? Or does she need to hear that God's glory is not dead? That God's glory is not gone. That God's glory is not absent from the situation. Now surely the heartache and the sorrow is real. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That Jesus wept. There is grief. But it is not grief without hope. And the hope is in the glory of God. And so if we are going to put the resurrection on our map, we have to understand the glory of God is at work through the power of the resurrection. The women came to the tomb of Jesus. They thought it was all over. They came expecting to see the might and the power of the Roman soldier, the Roman government there at the tomb. But because of the power of God that rolled the stone away, the soldiers had fled. They were nowhere to be seen. What was to be seen was the glory of God. The wonder of the angels dressed in a radiant white. And the marvelous words of the angels, you seek the living among the dead. But look, he's not here. He is risen. Now go tell the disciples and especially tell Peter. He's pretty torn up right now. Especially tell him. Because the glory of God was not absent. And if the Resurrection is to be on the map of our lives. We have to understand it's all about the glory of God in our lives. Well, we read on, we continue the story. And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. What was Jesus saying? He says, God, you and I know that this is because of who you are and because of your glory. We, we know that what's about to happen just reflects the, the eternal depths of your profound grace towards us. But I want these people to know this isn't just some miracle worker walking around doing, doing amazing things. This is rather the invasion of the very presence of the kingdom of God into our midst. God, I want them to know that you, Father, are the one who's in charge of all this. And if the resurrection is going to be on your map, you have to understand God is in charge of all this. So Jesus said, Father, I thank you that, that, that you hear me, that what I'm about to say is in perfect accord with our, our everlasting eternal relationship from before the foundation of the world. And then verse 43 And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And in the gray darkness of Sheol, Lazarus heard the good shepherd call him by name. And he came out of the tomb. He didn't exactly run out of the grave, because, because it says the man who had died, he came out, hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And I believe that's because 
uh, as, as uh, one who had been raised to life now, death still attended to him. I mean, that was still an, a, a reality that was going to take place. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the grave clothes were off and folded and put off to one side because death has no more claim on Jesus. You don't need these grave clothes anymore with Jesus. But Lazarus heard the one who calls us by name. And if the resurrection is going to be on the map of your life, you need to listen to Jesus call you by name and call you out of the depths, call you out of the darkness, call you out of the sin, call you out of the self-satisfied complacency of your life, call you out of the gray darkness of shale and run out of that grave because the one who is the way, the truth, and the life has called us out. But it's, it, it's even more than that, though. Because when he comes again, you know, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you don't die. The body dies. We go home to be with the Lord. But when Jesus returns, and I can't give you all, all the details of it, all I know is what the Bible tells us. And it is this, that the body they lay in the grave is the body that comes out of the grave. And we are raised. And so we are with him. Jesus calls us by name. And that's the power of the resurrection. That's why I want the resurrection to be on the map of your life. So that um, wherever you are, you'll look at it a little bit differently. You won't see it through the eyes of the, of the, the defeatism of the world. You won't look at, through, at it through the eyes of, of, of a society that says, well, you know, everybody's got to go sometime and... Well, there's problems and all that. You no, know, you look at it because we have victory in Christ. That's what the resurrection means for us. Victory over our sin by faith in Jesus Christ. Victory over the power of death and hell in our lives by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Victory over all those things that the devil would use to attack us and to assault us and to pry us away from God. We are free from those all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I want the resurrection to be on your map. Now, a little bit later, after he was raised from the dead, Jesus told his disciples to go out and to tell everybody, to go out and make the disciples, tell them about this resurrection. The angels had said to the women, you go and you tell the disciples, he is risen. And then the disciples went out and tell others, he is risen. And that's basically the the Christian life is to proclaim by word and by deed that he is risen. And when society laughs at us, we're just going to tell them, no, he's risen. And when the intellectuals tell us that it's just not possible, we'll just look at them and say, he is risen. Throughout history, when we are persecuted, he is risen. Whenever we meet someone and they are in the depths We tell them he is risen. And if it takes 2,000 years, we're going to keep telling people he is risen. Because one day, one person telling another person that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, after 2,000 years, one day that message he is risen will be told to a little boy of eight, almost nine years old. And in a way that he doesn't understand to this day, he'll say he's risen indeed. And his life transformed and the resurrection put on his map. So, beloved, live in the power of the resurrection. Let the resurrection be on your map. 
that God would be honored and glorified, that Jesus would be praised, and that you would live in the power of the Holy Spirit, all because he is risen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am so thankful that you have left us not as orphans, nor have you left us to our own design and our own plots and schemes. But, Father, you have given us a clear direction to have our eyes focused on things above, our eyes focused on Christ in heaven, our eyes focused on the things of your glory, so that we never see the world the same way again, never see other people the same way again, but always, Father, living in the power of the resurrection for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.